No, because the teenagers in Riley's local area are very dangerous. You little kafir bitch, they scream in through the window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm surprised we were able to even gather in uh, Muslim London, which tends to prohibit gatherings of kafars. Yeah. Uh, uh, except, yeah. For fri- except for Fridays. Um, when when people can gather in the town square, but only in their jilbabs and shawl kameezes. <laughs> uh, I would, of course, also like to uh, point out that um, Democratic lawmakers in the states today, I think this is germane to what we're talking about, have bravely refused to call Trump a racist. That is brave. Also, good use of germane. My, my favorite liberal take is is. Definitely that um, just because you say racist things, act racistly, um, enable and promote a racist policy, um, both in your private life as a, like, you know, um, hotel heir and as uh, president, just because you do all those things doesn't make you a racist because in the liberal imagination, racists are only poor. They're only poor and they wear overalls and they're in the movie Deliverance. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Yeah, that's really true, man. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just a undefinable word. The word racist in America just has, like, no real concrete definition, you know? That's really, like, the fun thing about Trump is he pushes stuff like that to such limits that, uh, you know, it just leaves us all asking, well, then what does this fucking word even mean, you know? If being a, a crazy Long Islander, you know, fascist president of the United States white supremacist isn't racist then you know what what do we even what do we even do with this word now you know i think how this works is that you're not a racist if there is anyone who is more racist than you (laughs) Um, because you can go i'm not a racist he's a racist it's all it's like being the oldest man in the world there's only the oldest one Until that guy dies. The the Daily Show solution to this problem, of course, is to say, no, Trump's not a white supremacist. He's an orange supremacist. (laughs) Damn. Uh, uh, Damn, damn. Hot fire. (laughs) Trump wants to make Essex the 51st state of America. (laughs) Oh, shit. Bringing it over to the UK. Yeah, I know. This is some crossover shit. And Essex again as well. Like, it's, you know. That's me. And I might, I might, in fact. Alienating our American listeners. I'd say welcome to Trash Future. Uh, I am coming to you live from the studio in the Muslim no-go zone of <laughs> Tower Hamlets. Uh, and who am I joined the by? The Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi Studios. <laughs> <laughs> yo, 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 Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, turn that shit up in my headphones, dog. <laughs> um, Can and, someone tell Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi to keep it down in the next room? <laughs> You've not got the soundproofing for, in here. Yeah. You, you crazy for this one, Jalal. <laughs> and from my left, who is with me? Um, my name is Hussein Kizvani. I am uh, the London representative of the Islamic State. Um, and I am holding all the women here hostage. <laughs> uh, I'm, They're also my wives. I'm uh, Charlie Palmer and I ghost wrote uh, Nigel Farage's introduction to Raheem Kassam's <laughs> recent book. <laughs> uh, Char- Charlie, Palmer, Charlie Palmer has been in attendance for all the episodes that we have recorded for the last couple of months. He just hasn't had much to say. <laughs> yeah, I've been ghost presenting as well. <laughs> Charlie Palmer has been doing the sign yeah. language portion of the show. <laughs> now, I've been busy researching for my role as Trash Futures offline correspondent. <laughs> um, and, and from the raging wildfires of California. Yeah, coming, coming, at, coming at you live from Silicon Valley, it's uh, me, my leopards. I came out here so that I could finally take off my burqa and niqab, uh, and I'm feeling very breezy. You can find me on Twitter at Milo underscore Edwards. <laughs> and uh, finally, our distinguished and honored guest. Uh, hi, this is Jake Flores, a comedian from uh, New York of Cumbtown fame, um, celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Day by chopping on some Tide Pods with some local teens. I, I, <laughs> hey heard, guys, he f- 
I heard he would have been a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> According to conservatives, Martin Luther King would have been a conservative. Martin Luther King would have been a gamer. I think when I, th- I actually think that the, the Martin Luther King gamer hypothesis is not covered enough by the mainstream media. Um, I believe also that the I have a dream speech was actually the result of a heated gaming moment. <laughs> Well, that's actually, there's actually a lacuna in the text. And really, this speech was, I have a dream cast. <laughs> oh, man. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., come on, Trash Future. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's the Zoom guy. He could be the Zoom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jake, I don't know if you know this. There's one, there's one person who listens to our podcast on a Zoom. On a Zoom? A Microsoft Zoom, their discontinued media player. Actually, you know that probably is? It's probably Gorka, because he has that weird technology thing where he only uses Bing and shit. Have you ever seen him do that? He'll go on Twitter and he'll be like, look it up, Bing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that that owns. I'm so glad that I know that. Hey, uh, <laughs> fancy lads. Uh, shall we start doing some of, of the contents? I fight for libel purposes, I should state this right now. This is our comedy. This is our comedy show where we are going to do comedy based on Raheem Kassam, Breitbart London editor's new book uh, about Sharia no-go zones. And it is... And that is comedy spelled C-U-M-E-D-Y. <laughs> Um, we, we have all taken different sections of the book and read certain amounts of them. Uh, and we are going to be uh, relaying to you our impressions. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably important to like, you know, how, how well, that, where this all started, um, which was, uh, obviously like the Trump comments earlier this week about, was it earlier this week or like last week? I, the news cycle, I don't know I'm when tired. anything happened all anymore. I, all, I, all I read is like crunchy roll blocks. So. Like at, at this point, like Trump could, like Trump could have said shithole like 10 days ago. It, he could have been talking about Stormy Daniels' asshole. I have no idea. Yeah. So, you know, it started off with that comment about this idea, you know, about shitholes and everything. And then our boy, friend of the show, Raheem Kassam was on Sky News. And Big up. He, so the basic premise of his book is um, that Muslims are ruining parts of, you know, parts of the great Western cities. Um, and he, uh, the Hunter S. Thompson of our time, decided to... Hobbit um, S. Thompson. <laughs> we'll go into that later. Um, he decided to go into parts of these cities uh, and find out why. So, so, so the, cover shows, um, the cover shows the Statue of Liberty in a niqab and... I mean, that's, that's really all you need to kind of say. It's mm-hmm. designed for an American audience. It's designed for like, you know, the soccer moms who um, are scared of guys called Hassan talking to their daughters. Yeah, so that's the audience that I think is like, you know, the intended audience, but he well, is kind It's of, the really yeah. polite fascists, right? Yeah, you know, like invading the Sudetenland in a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just so we got some context, I did take down his definition of what a no-go area is, which is the focus of the book. He says, it's an area in which the likelihood of being attacked, accosted, or otherwise abused on the basis of your appearance or the bigotry of locals is higher on average than elsewhere in the city or country in question. A no-go zone may refer to an area in which police require authorization or acceptance from a religious figure or community leader before entering, or indeed where the rule of law has either broken down or been supplanted by a foreign set of rules. Uh, Milo, would you like to kick us off with the preface written by a guest star? Yeah, the foreword written by uh, Big Nige <laughs> on a Farage, Sir Nigel of Farage. I mean, the fact that he's not got a knighthood just demonstrates how how corrupt the establishment is, doesn't it? Um, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read you all some some excerpts with a bit Big Nige's take on the book. Um, uh, it's he begins when Raheem told me he was writing this book on no go zones in the Western world. My first reaction was, "Thank goodness someone is doing this job." Wasn't aware it was a job. Uh, my second thought was, "I hope he's careful." Uh, yes, well, <laughs> um, the, my favourite bit though. Um, hang on, I've got to find it now. Um, uh, right, yeah, he start, he starts. He, he like goes in the various bit about how yeah, how great this is, like how like Malmo is apparently dangerous now, like Sweden. Sweden is dangerous now. Fine, um, and then he gets this bit uh, where he says. Uh, 
Raheem has been careful not to portray as someone more alarmist might. These communities as marauding out of control groups and telling the decline of the West. In a lot of instances, in fact, the people who find themselves ghettoized and demonized from all sides are victims themselves of their community leaders and actors who want to drive a wedge between migrant communities and native populations. Okay, so that is Nigel Farage, a man who's built his entire career <laughs> on trying to get immigrants out of the UK and is writing a preface to a book about how Muslims will murder you. And he's talking about how it's a shame that there are actors who want to drive a wedge between migrant communities and native populations. I mean, construct your own joke out of that one. Um, I'm not going to do the legwork for you. My final, my final favorite bit is like when you when he gets close to realizing that the premise of the book is complete bullshit, but pulls back at the last minute. Um, there will, of course, be plenty of critics of this book. They'll be they'll ask questions like, "If these places are really no go, how come you're able to go there?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the answer should, of course, be obvious. I think the answer the is quite obvious <laughs> um, if you read the text. Um, uh, Raheem timed his visits carefully, didn't seek to antagonize locals with video cameras, and in some cases, already ported by news organizations across the board, managed to luckily avoid mass incidents of violence and rioting by a matter of hours. That's quite a long time. <laughs> um, in short, it was <laughs> like, oh man, I avoided that car accident by a matter of hours. <laughs> um, in short, I mean, it's like it's like when, te it's like when terror attacks happen and guys on Twitter are like, oh, I went to Oxford Street like three days ago. That could have been me. <laughs> and this, it gets even better. It's like, in short, it was due to the studiousness of his approach that he managed to fairly document his experiences and put together a piece of work that will stand the test of time, both academically and from a philosophical perspective. And I'm just imagining Raheem Kassam like preparing to go into like Whitechapel High Street, like reading like a sort of phrase book, like, so you're traveling to ISIS <laughs> um, and like, walking down there and he encounters the first man who's just some like bearded hipster. And he's like uh, flipping through the pages frantically. Salam Aleikum. <laughs> I am a Muslim. <laughs> Also, like, it, I'm, isn't, like, Raheem Kassam, like, South Asian, but, like, ethnically? So, like, what, so if he goes to Whitechapel, he looks like most other people in Whitechapel. Like, why, how would they, like, do people, like, run up to him in Whitechapel and be like, tell me what Hadith 34 is? We need to check. Well, you know, as, <laughs> as someone who, like, comes from the same ethnic lineage as him and, like, for people who are new to the show or listen to one like follow for one of the other hosts like um all you need to do is type in my name into google and it'll be like the whole story will be there but the short story being um that i convinced a bunch of people that raheem kassam was my cousin um there are a lot of people who still believe that he is you know he he's definitely not mad about that and you should definitely <laughs> continue to um you should definitely continue to portray that um, he comes from a South Asian, African, Indian background. So, um, same, similar, like, lineage to me. Uh, we tend to be more, like, the more, like, affluent, like, you know, immigrant communities in the UK. Uh, we talk with posh accents because our parents sent us to uh, posh English schools. And the reason why he, they sent us to posh English schools was so that we could get away from the Pakistanis. Um... So bear, bear that in mind when you're kind of, you know, you know, bear that in mind when you're kind of reading this stuff. Um, so, yeah, like, I think to answer your question, if he went down to Whitechapel Market, I don't think a lot of people would kind of see him as out of place, not because he's Asian, but just because I, I imagine that not a lot of people really know who he is. My favorite bit, Milo, did you Milo, did you see the bit in the introduction about... Um, you know the uh, about the the fate that has befallen the pioneers of the subject matter of no go zones, um, <laughs> which is uh, and I no. quote the pioneers of the subject matter <laughs> uh, in the in in the late twentieth and early twenty first centuries. Quoting here, have all ended up either dead with prison sentences, with fines for thought crimes, or had their lives reduced to skulking around public areas with their hats pulled low and their gazes averted. Nigel Farage, don't sign your tweets. Which, <laughs> which I think is... But isn't that, isn't that literally how Raheem Kassam wrote this book? Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, isn't that what they all just did anyway? <laughs> I mean, look. Whenever I, I mean, I whenever I walk yeah. around in public, I always like rock my bootcut jeans and low riding like hat. 
it, Nigel Farage also left out his own fate, which was like standing watching the Queen's speech on a tiny TV on Christmas Day, all alone, drinking a pint of warm beer. He's he's not he's not allowed to go outside. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sadiq, Sadiq Khan has told him he's not allowed to go outside otherwise. Yeah, that's it. Outside is a no <laughs> He's like, you know, he's talking about how he like feels it's like a difficult task for Raheem. And he says, but as a professional colleague, I was also concerned at the scale of the task. And it's like a professional colleague in what? Like Raheem Kassam is like a reactionary journalist and... Uh, you know Nigel Farage is like a failed politician so they're not colleagues like they don't work in the same sphere other than the sphere of like not liking the Muslims <laughs> like that's not a job <laughs> is his definition of a professional colleague just anyone who has a job they're uh, professional failures they're millennials failing their way to success big big Nigel is the spiritual millennial he's the Dan Ninen of the UK Hell yeah. 100% clean politician. My mother was born in, in Staffordshire and my father was born in Lincolnshire. So I get my sushi nowhere. Get out, immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> Who are our resident chapter one expert. Well, so the reason that I've been a bit quiet for the last minute is that uh, I've become aware that actually what I was reading was mainly the introduction. <laughs> um, so what I've, what I've been doing is I have been trying to read chapter one while you guys have been talking for the last two minutes. Um, so um, I, uh, I found a fun phrase, uh, which is Bangladeshi-style electoral corruption. Um, which is actually the most fashionable style of electoral corruption on the circuit at the moment. So that was just a thing that I enjoyed. Kadarov, take a step back. Um, and um, <laughs> um, this, this just sounds like uh, a sort of, almost like a rhyme of the ancient mariner, like um, uh, sort of couple of sentences here. A couple of sentences here, like a great adventurer recounting his travels. <laughs> I, I quote: "I have, I have travelled to Molenbeek. I have spent extensive amounts of time in Tower Hamlets. I have dispatched colleagues to Malmo and Rosengard, and I have interviewed filmmakers and journalists who have been to." Other such areas across <laughs> Europe. You have my sword. <laughs> He's taking the hobbits to Rosengard. <laughs> the rest of it is, um, the rest of it's stats. He's reeled out that one stat. Do you remember that 20% um, uh, of Muslims supported terror attacks? Do you remember that stat that got reported in the sun? Yeah, me, was yeah it? me and my mates. I think that the, 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 one, the one paragraph, I think, in chapter one that I really sort of is, is the one to pull out is that uh, Raheem says, a commonly heard trope from the left, especially on the issue of climate change, uh, is that, quote, the science is settled. And despite the science being settled on the question of whether no-go zones exist, there is still a reluctance, <laughs> born perhaps out of an unholy alliance of misplaced tolerance, philosophical vacuousness, and perceived electoral advantages to tackle the issue head-on. So basically, he's saying that the European left has largely like engineered bits of their country to be no-go zones because they have a combination of a hatred of white people and a thirst for power, which explains the, the Democrats' ruthless electoral strategy and the love in 2016. Of and the love of rainforests. Of course. I, Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's, let's create some Sharia-compliant zones so we can sustain the rainforests. He's also heavily implying that... Um, the problem with the world is there are too many electoral advantages to not singling out Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of like that there there could be a science of no go zones, like as though there's <laughs> like like there could be a science of like how much of a pussy you are because that's all that really defines a no go zone, isn't it? It's just like how like bungee jumping is a no go zone for some people but not for others. Like, it's the same way, like, Whitechapel, if you're, like, a fucking timorous dweeb, it's a no-go zone. But if you're, like, a normal person, it's just, like, a street. The only science of no-go zones is, like, is, is the velocity change when you cross a street to avoid a guy with a tan. Also, fun coincidence, timorous yeah. dweeb is my rap name. 
You got, you got any more or shall we move on to England? No, I think we're done. All <laughs> right. England is my city. <laughs> All right. Alt-right Nick Crompton. Uh, England <laughs> was my city until it was made into a no-go zone by Sharia. Now I have to live in the Team 10 house and get, like, <laughs> domed by Jake Paul every day. <laughs> For me, the Team 10 house is a no-go zone because you're harassed constantly by pranks. It's really just like everyday life in, you know, in, in all of London's mosques. I mean, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave a fun fact until later on. Um, but basically, Raheem's chapter on Britain focuses on a few areas around the country. Focuses on a bit of Birmingham, a bit of Yorkshire, where there are like, like this place where, um, and called du- and in Dewsbury, where there are like 4,000, out of a population of 4,000, like 40 white families are left and all the pubs are closed. Um, which is, if you have a population that doesn't drink, why would there be pubs? Like, no one loves crisps that much. Um, Fuck off, mate. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it's an onion. I only actually eat crisps are a 400% mark. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start off a, uh, a paragraph by really sort of, I think, illustrating the nature of the threat that, uh, that Raheem is trying to illustrate here. Um, it's no wonder why this name uh, is notorious. Sheikh Munshi is the grandfather of one of Britain's youngest terrorists, Hamad Munshi. At 16, Hamad Munshi was arrested and later found guilty of using the internet to circulate material, including, you know, blah, 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 how to make weapons, and also trying to figure out how to smuggle a sword through airport security. (laughs) We we are facing a threat of unprecedented scale from radicalized sword swallowers around the world. (laughs) Radicalized sword swallowers sounds like how an elderly British army colonel would describe, like, gay rights activists. (laughs) So this is, uh, but it's so. But I think this next quotation really sort of shows how he's trying to paint the people who live in Britain, uh, and also that I think he thinks uh, different kinds of Muslims are like Pokemon. Um, while not all Deobandis are Tablihis, all Tablihis are Deobandi. SAT questions with Raheem Kassam. <laughs> and these are people who, with their isolationist and segregationist mindsets, have gained access to the largest number of mosques in Britain, earning themselves the name the Army of Darkness along the way. That's awesome. That's oh, so yeah. cool. Can I, mean, I join? <laughs> it, it just ultimately shows where like, segregation mindset works. Um, also, because we, we are uh, uh, all stupid... I am actually going to take this opportunity, uh, dear listener, to leave an edit point in here where I'm going to actually speak to one of my friends who's one of the world's leading scholars in the Deobandi movement so he can tell us what it actually is and if the epithet Army of Darkness is at all earned. Smart, smart, smart. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it probably won't be. Johan Chaco, thank you very much for coming on the show. Now, would you consider yourself an expert on the Deobandi movement? I would never say that. Uh, except to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, the BBC, uh, DFID, and a few other people. Uh, oh, yes, and, and, and my PhD committee. Yes, those people. So can you just give us a little bit of background on the Deobandis? Who are they and where they come from and all that? The, the shortest way of describing it is, is that it's a Sunni revivalist sect that emerged in South Asia, in the aftermath of the collapse of the Mughal Empire following the, the first Indian War of Independence or the Great Mutiny, whatever you want to call it, in 1857, when Hindus and Muslims alike banded together to try to overthrow the rule of the British East India Company. They lost uh, quite badly, in fact. And, they were, and the colonial government, in, in many ways, went particularly heavily after after organized Islam. The, the thing that was very successful about them is that they produced a version, uh, an approach to Islam that focused on preserving the essentials in a world where, in, in, in circumstances where, that were radically different from the past. In other words, where you were Muslims who were no longer ruled by Muslims, where you, you, were, where you had to figure out a way to preserve your culture and identity in, in a secular world. I think it's not surprising that the Deobandi response to colonial rule actually translates very well into England. I mean, you might say that the Deobandis have 200 years of experience of living with patterns of British government. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? The, the British style of government following the acts of toleration, etc., etc., where it decided to 
gradually remove itself from the business of policing religion. Now, what Rahim is freaked out about is the fact that that can result in the creation of parallel societies, you know, insular communities that essentially regulate themselves. And uh, that doesn't sit, sit well with his sort of universalism, which demands that everyone participates in together in the same society. So we all speak the same language. We all hold the same values. But, but the, the problem is that that kind of relentless uniformities is actually what the most radical forms of Islam are aiming for. Problem is that maybe he isn't confident enough that Britain is largely a free society. People will make their own choices. And we should really trust people to know what their own best interests are and act accordingly. So in a sense, Rahim's kind of right that there is sort of a parallel society thing going on. I think the problem is that there's a lot of stuff in there that isn't factually off the mark, but it's how he, it's his starting point. His starting point is a position of profound discomfort with A, Islam, and B, the idea that nations are no longer single unitary bodies where everyone shares the same faith and everyone shows exactly the same beliefs. I think, unfortunately, many of the people who would nod affirmingly at this, 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 this fear of uh, parallel underground uh, Muslim societies in Britain would be horrified to see that somebody, you know, uh, living an independent, integrated life on Great British Bake Off wearing a hijab. So it, it, puts, it puts Muslims who have some connection to their identity and culture in a no-win situation. They're bad if they don't participate, but they're bad if they participate uh, while maintaining ties to their own culture. I mean, it, it leaves people feeling that the only terms under which they can participate is one where they have suitably whitened themselves. So would it be fair to conclude that Rahim Kassam is the world's stupidest hobbit? <laughs> Johan, thanks a lot for coming on and clearing this up for us. In trying to convince us that, you know, uh, Muslims are basically Koopa Troopas, um, that th he does another, a number of things to kind of shock us. He says, for example, residents in Savile Town, this unfortunately named uh, <laughs> bit of Yorkshire, uh, where that's like mostly <laughs> Muslim now, they scarcely watch British television. Was it named after him? Uh, probably not, but I'd like to emphasize, he says they scarcely watch British television, and that's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Well, yeah, they've all they watch HBO. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're they're not you know they're not integrating. But Muslims the, are watching Hulu. They're not integrating <laughs> into the culture by like watching Big Brother or Love Island. Well, I'm saying you know, so when when the volunteer border guards come into force, I imagine like the questions to get through the border will be along the lines of like apprentice trivia. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like dragons den quote like you you have to like correctly identify all the um dragons on dragons den mm. yeah um to fully qualify as which British. is ant and which is deck <laughs> <laughs> you know what I made a I, I actually fucked that one up yesterday yeah. amazing um I, I found this get really, out I, I found this really like amazing picture of like ant but I thought it was deck so I had so I got ratioed for like. 10 minutes with everyone was just going uh that's ant you idiot and stuff like that okay. oh no i've got yeah i've got sort of i got a couple more categories to get through number one uh, his uh raheem's main source for his discussion of how yorkshire is slowly becoming um uh, uh, a caliphate uh, is this like citizen journalist who wrote a book on like the creeping islamization of yorkshire hell yeah um and I'm, i've got some quotes from this guy um there are no pubs left. Well, there's a pub down by the canal, he explains, and he adds, but that's kind of on the periphery of a semi-industrial area anyway. You'd never walk there. You'd get a taxi or you'd drive. You'd not walk. But with all the rest of the shops gone, the only store there is in Asian grocers, which I still go to. If I'm driving up Thornhill, which I do frequently, I'll stop, I'll stop off at Malaco's and pick up some king prawns and fresh fruit and veg because it's half the price that I can get anywhere else. <laughs> this sounds like a mediocre sportsman's autobiography. <laughs> 
No, this is definitely a guy with all of his mental faculties. This is a guy who like does like a digression into his grocery list and it made it into the book on why like the West is going to fall. All it goes to show is that like, you know, if you've got enough tape, run with it. <laughs> like what, what was cut? <laughs> um, this is where I get my pants. <laughs> but this, this guy, this guy is brilliant. I just want... I want to run through a couple more things about him. Muslims in Yorkshire <laughs> don't talk soft. I, I, um, he then goes, a mob of 150 local youths pursued this one guy <laughs> and he locked himself in the toilet in Greg's, a chain baker's, until the police arrived. A national then the, institution. And the police came and rescued him. <laughs> so he thinks like a platoon-sized group of Muslim youths <laughs> with like baseball bats all chase this guy down the street like a 70s French farce. It wouldn't be baseball bats, it'd be like cricket bats. No, he says baseball bats. <laughs> To be fair, I to be fair, I've actually once locked myself in the toilet in Greg's until the police arrived, but that's because I got accused of stealing sausages. <laughs> that was the main issue there. Um, anyway. Did you did you steal the sausages? Like? I did steal the sausages. Charlie Palmer, sausage burglar. Uh, Raheem, Raheem. Anybody who refers to people as youths is gonna say something racist right after that. I'd like to conclude the, this thing on this journalist. Uh, Lockwood, this guy's name, could be Britain's quote-unquote wizard on these issues if the establishment <laughs> would only listen to him. Same. This is what I say whenever like, I have good anime opinions. <laughs> it's like, sir, I could be a mage, <laughs> but you just won't let me have a column. Um, it's actually on my business, cu- business cards. Charlie Palmer, issue wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to go into one more thing and then I'm... And sausage burger. <laughs> Those two. I'm yeah. going to go into one more thing about Britain because this is just fun uh, before I, I hand off to Jake to talk about Murica. Um, but he also says that Tower Hamlets is a no-go zone where no white people live or really can go or integrate without, you know, um, getting problems, especially the areas around Commercial Road and Cable Street. Ah, yes, but very famous white free zone yes. in London. I'm, I'm shocked because I lived there for two years. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I mean, we're recording in a studio in Tower Hamlets right now. Um, so it's probably best... Display. Surprise, motherfuckers. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in, 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 in one section of the book, he says that all the street signs are in Urdu, right? Yeah. Brick Which Lane. Is like, Brick, we, it's, it's just uh, to, to clarify to Jake, um, Raheem complains that the street sign for Brick Lane is in English and Urdu because the community is mixed. Um, but, like, that would be essentially... Like, you would care about that as much as if someone, like also had a supplementary sign for like Times Square in French. It's not, it's like, a, no one yeah. gives a fuck about Brick Lane. It's Everyone a, hates it. It's not even that. It's like, number one, like the street signs are in Bengali. So like for a South Asian guy who like identifies yeah. himself as like a South Asian ex-Muslim or like Muslim writer to like not like see basic, you know, because the languages are written differently, right? So like that's like a bullshit factual error in itself and like no one's picked it up because you know again the demographic of people who are going to read this aren't really going to notice also because the people who do hate it are kind of busy picking out the other stuff yeah um and also it's like that brick lane street is like it's not because the bengalis live there it's because there are curry houses there and the curry houses have been there for decades right they all suck though so it's kind of Yes, they do. Um, that's for a separate discussion. Uh, they do. They do all suck. And one of them um, sucks more than the rest. But we can't say stuff. We can't like be specific on the show. Um, but it's like saying Chinatown, which is also just a stone's throw away from Brick Lane, um, is being kind of Asianified because the street signs are in like Mandarin and Cantonese. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's utterly ludicrous. So you know. On the basic factual level, that's like dumb and ridic- like dumb and ridiculous. But also, just like this idea is like, you know, it was one dominant, you know, it was one thing, and it uh, like one dominant thing, and that was not British. It's like, yeah, you have like Jewish bakeries, um, Bengali curry houses, Indian curry houses, um, flats that are owned like by like millionaire Chinese investors, and the people who live in those flats are all yeah. white people who live in the fucking city, dude. Um, or like Asians who are like the same as me and him, which are like uppity, you know, uppity Asians who go like work at, you know, JP Morgan. Exactly. So yeah, lots of cultures, yeah. which are, I think a, a good thought experiment about Tower Hamlets would be if I said to you, uh, I saw a bunch of women getting stoned on the street in Tower Hamlets. Are you now thinking of an ISIS style execution? 
No. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll conclude. There's so much here. I've had to only have bits and pieces. Um, Raheem concludes, the left's long march through Britain's institutions, stripping away conservatism and Christian morals. Uh, because, you know, the, the, Britain is basically a socialist paradise. Yeah, um, where, are those, where are those conservatives now? Uh, has left these people with nothing to guide them. He's talking about the youth. Uh, no flag to <laughs> rally around. In many cases, quite literally, it is extremely rare to come across a British flag, even on government buildings. <laughs> no one is talking about this. As, a, <laughs> as opposed to the monopoly old glory has in many towns and cities in the United States, when they come for your flag, they're coming for your identity. When they kill your identity evil, and presumably curry houses flourish. Uh, who yes. has come for the flag? I like to think there's a team. It's, it's probably done, probably outsourced to Carillion. I agree. I mean, I agree with him, and which is why I'm really offended that the police like keep taking my ISIS flag. Yeah, gutted, yeah. <laughs> They're expensive, man. <laughs> oh, man. So that is the, 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 the British chapter. Oh, um, and it... Before I, before I hand off to Jake, I, I want to make one last point, which is that the intrepid citizen journalist in Yorkshire admits that he had trouble with like a local community leader called Terry Zaman, who he refers to as a maf- the local Muslim mafia godfather, <laughs> who I actually did Hell some yeah. research on, and who was most famous for being like a landlord to an MP in an expenses scandal, and also who bought a public toilet in 2005 for 112,000 pounds. This man is an evil genius bent on <laughs> destroying the West. Yeah, I have str- Strange respect for this man. <laughs> yeah, look, all I'm saying is that if you really want to force people to convert to Islam, like the best way of doing it is when they desperately need to go take a dump. And you can just like say, you can either shit your pants or you can convert. Yeah. yeah. Say, say a shahada, you can come and use all the toilets you want. Segregationist mindset, bro. When they come I'm for imagining your public toilets. Our Yorkshire citizen journalists like really needing a shit in the centre of some town in Yorkshire and sprinting to the to the you know the, the public toilet that him and his his white progenitors have used since the dawn of time and finds it locked and then turns around to see uh, Terry look at him and going where is your god now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, changing the coin dispenser so that it only accepts dinars. It would only, it, oh, you have to do zakat. You can only pay in zakat. <laughs> yeah. um, Jake, do you want to take over and take us on a tour through sunny America? Uh, the chapter that I chose, chapter eight, is called uh, From Detroit, comma, With Call to Prayer. Um, I don't know why he named all these chapters like they're James Bond movies, but that's fun. This book has a sort of cute quality to it in its nationalism that I didn't expect. Hypothesis. Raheem Kassam um, really thinks he's James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Infiltrating these it no-go reads, zones. Yeah. Like an episode of like The Daily Show. Like a, he's do on a little reporting adventure kind of thing or like a local high school newspaper. <laughs> you know, venture out to um, investigate this thing he's decided exists called no-go zones, right? Um, But uh, it takes a really deep dive one sentence in. The first sentence of this chapter is, Detroit is hell. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's how he decides to start. As Raheem Kassam pronounces it, Detroit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Detroit is hell with significant parts of it anyway. While businesses and invest or whoa, I'm sorry, while business and investment have returned to the city and to the state of Michigan, vast no-go zones of another kind are spawning in the Detroit adjacent cities and suburbs of Dearborn and get this, this place is called Ham Tram. <laughs> um, man, they- that's H-A-M-T-R- Famously Halal suburb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. H-A-M-T-R-A-M-C-K? That's a wow. word. And a place in Detroit, um, or in Michigan, rather. Um, I think it also might be a sandwich that Michael Moore invented. <laughs> um, <laughs> since... Since November 2015, the latter has boasted the first Muslim-majority-controlled city council in the United States. So you can see why he decided uh, to include Detroit as a chapter, because this is something that'll make, um, you know, racist soccer moms uh, little ears perk up. Oh, my God, there's a Muslim-majority-controlled city council. Um, for anyone concerned about the issues stemming from Islam in America... 
dash. So probably every one of you who bought this book, <laughs> he put it like a little aside there. A closer look into the state of Ham Tramp is essential. Perhaps the best reason to visit Ham Tramp <laughs> nowadays. Well, I think we all know. <laughs> So yeah. It's never going to get less that funny. That and the food. So he takes this weird... The thing I love about bad writers is that they they feel the need to just turn into like George R. R. Martin every once in a while and start describing food. It's really bizarre. Um, so he's going to go into this chapter where he... Or into this part of this chapter where he interviews this uh, woman he made up named Ruth who's terrified of all the mosques being built. But he starts by breaking down um, basically two different other immigrant communities that exist in Detroit. Um, one of them being uh, Polish from, you know, way, way back in the early days of Detroit. And the other one being a group called the Chaldeans who are Christians from Iraq. Um, and so he goes into this whole thing where he, he talks to some Chaldeans and he says like, wow, you've done such a good job uh, assimilating here. You know, why isn't, uh, why aren't your other people that look like you, you know, assimilating and, and be, and the answer is like, well, these Chaldeans are Christians and the other ones are Muslims. So what do you expect? You know, you, he's just sort of like a uh, butthurt that they're not becoming Muslims, but is, is this how he hits on them in bars? Wow. You're doing such a good job of assimilating here. Um, but he goes on to talk about how magnificently the Polish communities have, uh, assimilated into America and then he goes on and on about how he ate a pile of pierogies and he guzzled down a Polish beer and yada 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 <laughs> he tells us all that's dinner for no reason well isn't it just because the Polish community is really easy to trick <laughs> yeah 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 Wait, is, his, is his book turning into season two of the wire uh, yeah they invented uh, these doors that you can walk through backwards to convince people you're leaving the room or uh, entering I forgot <laughs> how that joke goes um, <laughs> but uh the thing is about this that stuck out to me is that um, I live in Brooklyn and uh, there's a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Greenpoint that's very Polish and there's a, a train stop that you get out of sometimes and you have to take a piss real bad, right? So there's this one Polish bar across the street from this train stop. You go into this bar and uh, there's this woman in there that is very, very insistent that you have to fucking buy something or else you can't use the restroom. And she's extremely Polish and she's always smoking, even though it's illegal to smoke inside. And she's 600 fucking years old. And she's, I don't think she's aware that she's in America. That's how unassimilated <laughs> she is. Right. So for this guy to tell me that <laughs> Polish people are the, somehow this standard for like, um, you know, uh, getting rid of your old world community and becoming Americans. It's a, you know, it's a fucking bullshit. Um, they have little, little communities just like everyone else does. The only reason he hates the, uh, you know, the, the Muslims coming to Detroit is because they're Muslims and they want to start mosques and shit. Right. It's pretty obvious to anyone. Um, well, and also because Detroit used to be so nice before, right? So it's very upsetting to see Detroit, which used <laughs> to be brilliant and fine and not a bad place at all, suddenly become, you know, bad. It's not like Detroit is, you know, poor and rough and whatever, because it was basically plundered by a series of companies that just kept on yanking the carpet out from it every time it tried to invest in its own industry or infrastructure. Nothing like that. I mean, no no main failed auto bailout. I, I mean, their main reference point for Detroit is always like eight mile, right? Yeah. Well, that, that was all before RoboCop. And now it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he goes on to talk about the Chaldeans and that, um, you know, they're these model immigrants because, you know, they just happen to be Christians and they move to, uh, to Detroit and they assimilate. Um, and he says they, um, they, they're these model citizens because they start private businesses and their income, you know, they're entrepreneurs. They're, they have this entrepreneurial spirit. They drive fancy sports cars and operate... Uh, corner stores and uh, <laughs> supermarkets, which the, t one of those things is not like the other. I mean, he's just describing people that run corner stores, which is fine, but um, I don't know if it's like the you know this American dream he's trying to make it out to be. Um, anyway, he goes around meddling around the Caldeans and the the. So I love being a I love being a really normal hobbit who walks around like measuring the nose width of Caldeans in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing has this air like he's trying to reignite the uh, the whole like sectarian conflict within Iraq all over again in Detroit, which he's decided is 
both hell and a great place at the same time for some reason. <laughs> so, you know, good for him. Um, I, I, there's something, I think it's the like ancient Greeky name that the Chaldeans have yeah. that gives this whole thing a really biblical quality. <laughs> and, lo, and lo, did Rahim go to the city of Detroit <laughs> to pay a visit unto yeah. the Chaldeans. Rahim Kassam's first letter to the Chaldeans. <laughs> I love you guys so much. You're great. Can I, come, can I come and measure you so I can try to get some specs for the ideal immigrant? Rahim's second letter to the Chaldeans. Hey guys, just checking you got my first letter <laughs> he goes on to the meat of this chapter which is um this woman named ruth that he made up that is like extremely <laughs> you know worried about the uh the incoming um ruth is real uh, she just lives in a different city you've never seen her <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's just a girlfriend from canada because it's great because you see he leans into this whole thing because what's happening is she lives next door to a strip mall that some people bought um like a little space in and then decided um, they wanted to turn it into a school and then a mosque. So he keeps trying to identify this scam in which you, you buy, you know, a property as one thing and then like switch it to a mosque, the old, you know, mosque scam or whatever. Basically what it boils down to is she starts rambling about how the, the mosque that went up at the end of her neighborhood next to her house um, has this like gate, way they have like a fence right and they knock down part of the fence so that people could park on the neighborhood street and then walk to the mosque so she's describing in you know fear and ire like this 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 is let me boil this down for you for you you brits this is a good old-fashioned like hillbilly white trash side yard dispute <laughs> this has nothing to do with theology or anything yeah. they're just talking about a place she wants to put an above ground pool or a fucking trampoline <laughs> or something <laughs> nothing to do with what even the guys interviewing her about it's fucking great she goes on for like two pages about it um and then <laughs> Isis took my pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm worried that God. Isis is going to steal the car I have up on blocks in my front yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. His girl Ruth sort of finishes this out uh, here. Uh, I'll read from the book. Ruth gave me an overview of the changes she's noticed in the area. Quote, it started in 2014 and it just finished up last year. 2016 in parentheses. Ruth explained. She continued... Everybody just rolled over. The neighborhood on the commercial side is extremely busy. There's lots of cars and an extreme amount of cars. They just park everywhere. Um, one of the strip malls across the street went completely empty. Everybody moved out. She's not far off. She's talking about the, the supposed effect this has had on her neighborhood, right? Because um, some businesses closed and this big supermarket opened. Nearly everybody moved out of that area a long time ago. What stands there now is the Hera Halal Food Mart and a bunch of empty storefronts. While the Food Mart is broadly reviewed as a great place to pick up halal food, one Google reviewer by the name of Hasna Begum said in 2016, Nothing is labeled, ever. It's like walking through a maze. The employees don't know English. They just expect everyone to know Bengla. And there are always a bunch of random dudes standing there, just watching her ever move. <laughs> oh, and you can only use a credit card if your total is over $10. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> That's called a $10 minimum. That's Ruth again mentioned the exodus from the area. Everybody's moving out. They're just vacating, she said, adding from nine and a half mile to 12 mile. We've got all these mosques. She continued. We took a petition out to where 250 of us in the neighborhood uh, went down. Uh, one week, we took our petition up the street. The neighbors were telling us that... Uh, that behind us came the Welcoming Michigan Slash America group, mm. which is a group that, according to the author, um, is funded by George Soros and Black Lives Matter. Oh, um, yes. That classic, <laughs> that, that classic um, institutional investor alliance. And now <laughs> time for a note from our sponsors. I thought it was really interesting, actually, when the Competition Commission allowed uh, Black Lives Matter to buy out George Soros. I thought they'd have blocked that merger. <laughs> Hey, look, when, you, when, you, when you're a limited company and you get merch, you can do anything. Well, actually, guys, 50% of the universe is made out of Black Lives Matter. So. <laughs> so, so what you're saying essentially is that George Soros and Black Lives Matter are making it difficult to make a salad in some parts of Detroit. Yeah, that's basically the, uh, the allegations. Dang George Soros and his um, obstructions to my ability to get fresh 
uh, asparagus. Jo- George Soros and his goons have tried to block my above ground pool for the last time. <laughs> yeah. I'm it- gonna t- I'm gonna tell a British guy about it in a book. Is this in Ham Frank again? Is, Soros is, now is, in his volcano lair, watching on a massive screen as a housewife in Detroit is disturbed from making her chicken Caesar by the call to prayer, going, "My plan is almost complete." <laughs> <laughs> If this is in Ham Frank, are we implying that George Soros is in the pocket of Big Ham? <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much it for that chapter. After that, he just sort of like starts meandering about um, Teddy Roosevelt. He starts quoting Teddy Roosevelt's views on immigrants, which, um, you know, that's a pretty far back poll if you're looking for a president to quote on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the, coo- the coolest, youngest president, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> I, I always actually go to Calvin Coolidge for quotes about Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and then meanwhile, Teddy Roosevelt's wearing a fucking Mr. Burns gorilla vest and, you know, <laughs> shooting, fucking everyone in his sight. Um, all these quotes from Teddy Roosevelt are about how should people should learn to speak English uh, if they want to come to this country. Um... Does anyone know if Teddy Roosevelt spoke any other languages? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I know he wanted the kids off his lawn. <laughs> um, so that's it for Detroit. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got here. This guy's a fucking idiot, and I'm, I'm glad you brought him into my life. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. There's one sort of quote on the From America with Radical Islam chapter. He opens that by saying, uh, quoting Anjum Chowdhury, uh, I believe... Oh I believe Sharia is the best way of life. I believe one day it will come to America and the rest of the world. And that's Anjum Chowdhury, radical imam, speaking on Fox News with Sean Hannity, which is essentially like him trying to like drum up fear by quoting like Anjum Chowdhury about to like hit John Cena with a flying elbow off the top rope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, Anjum's a bit of a joke around here, but like in the US, he's kind of got some more currency, right? Um, you know, people. Who? So he was like, he was this kind of guy in East London who pretended he was like a, like a, an Islamic scholar. Um, he wasn't. He was just like a failed, he was just like a failed lawyer, failed like medical student who just decided to kind of like parade as like an Islamic He read, he read the Jay Shetty Guide to Success where you have to fail forward. Wait, is he, is he a large adult fail son? Yeah, he's a large adult <laughs> fail son with a pension. Wait, what's his name? I, f- I think I might know this guy. Anjum Chowdhury. He's like, you know, he had a penchant for like luxurious cappuccinos every time someone went to interview him. And I, I, I interviewed him like um, a few years ago. Uh, and the reason why he, he would accept any interview, but the condition would be was be like you'd either have to buy him a meal or you'd have to buy him like the, a really luxury cappuccino. Oh, God, <laughs> he's like the uh, British John Kasich. <laughs> <laughs> so like he knew, how to, he knew how to fuck around and like, you know, he fa- yeah, like he, he's a fail son who failed upwards. So like, so, so, so folks, my, my fellow liberal elitists, um, we, I guess we've all like been convinced that um, London and the UK and basically all of Western society. So the Muslims are about to take over. You have to roll two dice to decide what uh, what happens next. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't bring my dice. They're a form of gambling. They're prohibited <laughs> under Sharia. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Thanks, Sadiq. Um, okay, so... Uh, use fireball. <laughs> it was ineffective. Um, Sorry, I mean drone. Drone. <laughs> you just bombed a Yemeni wedding. Uh, <laughs> it's super effective. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so, so, so as, as we get to the end of the book, um, this is like, you know, Raheem giving his policy prescription. You know, he's like pulling, no, he's, he's taking no shit here. Um, he's seen the West, he's seen it about to crumble, but he is the man in his bootcut jeans staring into the horizon. He's going to save the West. So he goes, I'll keep this brief. At the start of this project, I hoped my investigation into no-go zones would be fruitless. Like, so he, you know, wasting all your time writing a book, like, so you don't publish it. Okay, fair enough. Um, honestly, I could have traveled for another six, six months, presented another 600 pages to my editors, from riots to language barriers to massive deprivation to voter fraud to extremism to terror links to authorities who can no longer 
enter certain areas. It would be incredibly naive and dishonest for me to pretend that there are not serious problems stemming from these areas. So he sort of goes on, like, you know, talks about like little Poland again in Detroit. You know, so he says, he says like, you know, these no-go zones are not the same as little Poland in Detroit or little Italy in New York. They are closed communities of immigrants that are not interested in integrating into cultures they migrate to. When the Polish immigrants dominate Hamtramck, <laughs> the city streets were not filled with a call to prayer at Catholic altars. So why, so why are they now called five times a day of a call to pray at many of the new mosques scattered across the city despite complaints? There is no call to prayer in Catholicism! <laughs> the answer lies in the key difference between the latest wave of migrants to this city and their predecessors, Islam. Dun dun dun. So you know, so you Doctor Claw. <laughs> so you know, as he's staring, force feeding people communion on the streets of Detroit to own the Muslims. So, <laughs> um, so you know, he sort of like you know, uh, kind of rambles on a bit more. I'm just trying to find where his policy thing is. Like, it's not even like set out in an organized way, um, which is sort of annoying. It's in the last pro- chapter, not the epilogue. That's um, why. Oh, is it, is it in the last chapter? Uh, his, hold on. It's because his policy prescription is basically just like, you know, the police have to stop being afraid of being seen as racist. Yeah, okay, so we don't, we, don't even need to, we don't even need to go to look, look at it because really there's only like a couple of things that he says, right? So he kind of gives a spiel about like, you know, being proud to stand up for like Western cultures, you know, hit on your, go- <laughs> hit, hit on your son's girlfriend, do all the things that, you know, British, real British men do. Then, you know, I, I think the thing that, you know, I guess Lee is the most practical. I don't want to say like yeah. useful, but like the most practical thing he he kind of suggests is that the police and the authorities should stop being scared. Um, the police, that famous, fam- that famous institution that is frightful of uh, darker skinned. What was it? D- timorous folk. nerds. <laughs> timorous dweebs. Timorous dweebs. The police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the police, famously afraid of things. <laughs> Um, so hmm. yeah, so he, ba- I mean, that's kind of his, you know, you know, he does, it's, you know, he doesn't really offer any like policy subscription. So he wants to encourage integration and he says to that end, we need to address the problem created by giant satellite dishes that provide television in foreign languages to residents of no coast. These satellites enable a language barrier that grow between natives and immigrants, which prevents integration. So, you know, that's one way. Integrate migrants by forcing them to watch Dragon's Den. Old man satellite dishes. It was you all along. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I forgot to mention that in the Detroit chapter. One of the first things he notices is he drives through this neighborhood and there's satellite dishes all over, like, the sides of the houses and shit. He's like, clearly this has some sort of uh, something to do with, you know, uh, transmitting certain language only television or information or something. He just has no idea. He's just in a shitty neighborhood. That's all that means. They don't get cable there. The Muslims <laughs> are communicating with their moon base. Yeah, yeah. No, no. What happened is Raheem Kassam saw Goldeneye and then got really frightened. <laughs> you know, you, you know, forcing all forcing oh, all yeah. uh, forcing all immigrants to like watch Rick and Morty. Oh yeah, uh, then then they can be geniuses. Then they, no, but then they'll become smarter than like the no, native population. Yeah, we so. can't let them access Rick and Morty. Or they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll take over. <laughs> so so in Britain, we're going to force all newcomers to watch every episode of um, Mrs. Brown's Boys. They made Szechuan sauce halal. It's not fair. What, what's the, what's what's the what's the equivalent in the US for like a really shitty kind of. Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah, Big I guess. Th- I, yeah. I went there. Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it's like these guys aren't. These guys aren't like. I love that when people actually integrate into Western culture, they always leave a few seconds of silence after they say a zinger to give the audience a chance to react. Well, to be fair, if I had just moved to America and I was forced to watch every episode of Big Bang Theory, I would devote the rest of my life to eradicating every trace of white culture. <laughs> you would join ISIS. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I mean. If you know, yeah, when, that's the theory. You know, when, when, I, when I first immigrated to Britain from Hamtrank, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I decided to integrate like all good Indian immigrants do by watching copious amounts of anime. Yep. Um, so now, whenever someone says, Hey, Hussein, how are you doing? Um, I always respond with, Young boy, uh, oh shit, what's the thing? Uh, 
Rise young boy yeah, to the heavens right, as a legend. Right, rise young, rise young boy become a legend. <laughs> <laughs> the cr- cr- cruel angel's thesis, peace be upon him. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the time is just like, ah, oh, gato. Um, so just everything. Of so, yeah. Um, well, I mean, really, he's just he's just he's just describing white flight, really. Yeah. Like that's that's well. If you kind of read like other sections of his book, he basically, you know, his he, he kind of comes back to his point of like everywhere I went, I didn't see any white faces or any of these like monikers, kind of like white identity, whether they be like pubs or like I don't know, um, gammon gammon factory. Sure, I don't I don't know, like I don't I don't know what else he would like really describe it as right. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, like, if you pubs and Priuses, the double P. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make an argument like that, then like fine. This is another like trash feature smart moment. If you want to make an argument, fine, but like the argument is sort of really devoid of any sort of intellectual basis, right? Like it's really devoid of like, you know, the decaying, like the decaying effects of urbanization and gentrification, how that fucks up like poor white people as well as poor Mm -hmm. ethnic minorities and how just in the spaces that he's been to, the majority of those people from ethnic minorities tend to be from like Muslim backgrounds. Considering that Islam is like the second largest, like second or largest religion in the world, like that's not, uncommon right yeah when like you know more than you know more than like a quarter of the world like identify as muslim and outside of the west like are much more religious than they are in the west like that's not an uncommon finding so to kind of present it as being like this invasion is like sort of dumb yeah well, it's, um, it's basically it's basically like his his whole book if you replace like radical preaching uh with rap music and muslim kids with black kids would just be a hectoring lecture about how you have to pull up your damn pants. You have to you have to pull up your boot cut jeans. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're supposed you're supposed to ride them low because how else will you mosh to uh, corn? Yeah, but, but, <laughs> like that's really just what Raheem is doing. He is he is stigmatizing a poor community by sort of internalizing their segregation in their own choices and their own culture, that which is utterly nonsense and totally ignoring any element of history, any element of of sort of you might say material conditions. And he's saying that the solution is a more racist and militarized police force. It's, it's, it's complete. And you know, he, he kind of portrays these arguments as being like very radical, right? So like his whole persona is that like, Oh, you know, I came from a Muslim background, but I transcended it. And, you know, I kind of threw away all like the regressiveness. Um, you know, so now I'm kind of this enlightened bright, bright writer, you know, who, you know, call that you know whatever you want to whenever you want to refer to that as but like in reality like these are arguments that like every middle class south asian family like like at least they have like at least one uncle who says these things they'll always have this you know they always have like the one uncle who you see a couple of times a year who um will complain about like you know the other muslims you know the poor muslims but the other muslims are making us look bad um you know, they're the ones who are like, you know, taking over the city and making it look shit and everything. Like when you understand, when you understand, but like, this isn't an uncommon statement, even from immigrant communities, like what he says is like really quite boring. Right. And I think he's playing on this idea that like, you know, his readers who will mostly be like, you know, um, fascist who, who soccer moms will, who, who will mostly be like soccer moms and like other other like middle-aged white people won't kind of think, you know, they won't think for like immigrant communities who become well-to-do and rise up in like rise up in the middle class don't have these exact same opinions. So like when I read it, I was like, well, this is just like my, my uncle Abdul, right? You know, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's like my uncle Abdul. If like, he wrote like a really shitty book with too many like in-depth food references, which took well, an advance based entirely of uh, luxury cappuccinos. Well, <laughs> ju- just like Owen Smith with his frothy coffees. Mm. <laughs> anyway, on that. Yeah, I, I don't think- know. I thought that this is the best Harry Potter book I've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we've been recording for a mm. bucket load of time. So uh, have we have we given this the. Uh, uh, first the, review, the, the, the first, uh, the first left wing review. So how many, si- how many sickles is it out of? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say one, one hammer and sickle and one hammer. <laughs> one hammer. One, 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 one yeah. out of five ice picks. <laughs> um, uh, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for introducing this wonderful text into my life. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to learning more text. about this 
This badass human. This bad um, or hobbit, actually. I'm sure that he'll be in your mentions. Or this bad ass <laughs> human. <laughs> um, our theme song yeah. is uh, called Here We Go by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. It's extremely good. I recommend you listen to all of his stuff. Um, and follow us at Trash Future Pod on Twitter. Follow the host. Follow whoever the fuck you want. In and fact. follow our sponsor, George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good night, everyone. Mm.